So from last week, we're continuing uh, in the book of Jeremiah. And uh, let's just uh, recap uh, the, the general situation. Uh, so last week, we saw that uh, after the reign of King Solomon, the kingdom of Israel split in two. You had the ten northern tribes that became Israel, the two southern tribes that became Judah. And about 200 years after the split, the northern kingdom, Israel, was carried off into captivity by the Babylonians, and they never returned. And the southern kingdom, Judah, they uh, survived another 250 or so years uh, before the same thing happened to them, only this time they were carried off into captivity by the Babylonians. And Jeremiah is proclaiming this message, proclaiming this warning uh, at the point where Judah is very close to being carted off to Babylon. Babylon was in what is now uh, present-day Iraq. So the people of Judah are on the verge of becoming slaves in the Babylonian Empire. And it seems uh, that they can't see it coming. So God sends Jeremiah to the house of a potter. Now making uh, pots on a wheel that you turn with your foot was a very common, uh, common occupation in the ancient world. And God uses this image of this potter working away with this lump of clay to give Jeremiah a very clear message for the people of Judah. And the analogy is that uh, God is the potter and his people are this, uh, this lump of clay that is being moulded. And the first thing that we can take away from this is that God has a plan and a purpose for his people. When a potter is working clay, he knows what he's making. He knows what he wants the end result to be. His movements aren't random because he's making something specific, an object with a purpose. And so it is with God and his people. He has a plan and a purpose for this nation. He knows where they're at and he knows where he wants them to get to. So God has a plan and a purpose. That's the first thing. But as Jeremiah sees this possible working, he observes that the clay becomes spoiled in his hands. In other words, the pot goes a bit down. So the potter moulds it back into one lump and begins to rework it. Now, the potter, of course, is not being nasty or vindictive. He's simply doing what he needs to do in order to achieve the result that he's got in mind. And Judah is his lump of clay that is not taking the shape that it ought to. Judah has become spoiled. The people of God are in rebellion against God. They've become idolatrous. They're uh, following all kinds of dodgy pagan practices that they picked up from the nations around them. And so the potter is on the verge of reworking this lump of clay. God is on the verge of sending uh, Judah into exile in Babylon. But the reason we have this story in the first place is that God is warning Judah. And the reason that God is warning Judah is because he doesn't want his people to suffer. When a parent says to, to a child that's being a bit naughty, when they say, okay, if you keep doing that, you're going to have to sit out for five minutes. The parent is not saying that because they're looking forward to punishing their child. They're saying it because they want to correct some kind of harmful or negative behaviour. And God wants to get Judah back on track. That's why he sends Jeremiah and this whole long line of prophets 
with such a stark message. In verses 7 to 10, God is reaffirming his sovereignty, reminding Judah that he deals with the nations according to their deeds. He's reminding uh, Judah that he will judge this nation justly. And right now, they're on a dodgy wicket. God will send Judah into exile in Babylon if he has to, because that will achieve the desired result. That will ultimately bring the people uh, back to him, make them refocus on him. But God doesn't want to have to do that, because he knows it will be miserable and traumatic for them. That's why through the prophet Jeremiah, he urges them to change their ways before it comes to that, before it's too late. So the whole point of reworking the clay, of sending Judah into exile in Babylon, is to bring the people back in line with God's will, with God's plan. God has a wonderful plan for his people, far better than anything they could dream up for themselves. So how do the people respond to this warning from a just and loving God? Well, we see it in verse 12. They say, uh, we're not interested. We're going to follow our own plans. Get lost. And so they do indeed end up as slaves in Babylon. Well, if you haven't already guessed it, all those things that are true of Judah are true of us. God has a purpose and a plan for our lives. We have a tendency to rebel against God. God calls us to repent and change our ways, and God molds and shapes us. So let's take a few moments to look at those things. God has a plan and a purpose for our lives. It's far more exciting, fulfilling, and meaningful than anything that we would come up with for ourselves. God wants us to become more like Jesus. He wants us to be fully human. He wants us to live life to the full. He wants us to be spiritually fit. Spiritually fit. Now, if I went off to Orion and I asked people at random, what does a perfect body look like? I imagine that a lot of people would have a fairly clear mental picture of what that looks like. And that's because we're constantly bombarded with ideas of how we should look. Every day we see hundreds of images of the so-called body beautiful. But I wonder if people would find it so easy to answer the question, what does the perfect soul look like? Because God's priority is not to mould our bodies, uh, but our souls or our character. In 1 Timothy 4.8, the Apostle Paul says, while physical training is of some value, godliness is valuable in every way, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. In other words, we should look after our bodies, but of far more importance is that we grow in godliness. Because the positive changes that are made to our characters now will last forever. And we're reminded in that, uh, with that phrase, the life to come, the life to come, we're moving towards a point where God will make us perfect in the new creation, in the life to come. So what does the perfect soul look like? Well, it looks exactly like Jesus. Jesus is the perfect example of humanity. And it's into Jesus' likeness that God wants to mould and shape us like the potter with his clay. And this is an ongoing process 
that will only finally be completed in the life to come, in the new creation. The problem is that we're rebellious and we resist God's efforts to shape us. Judah were in rebellion against God, they were the vessel that became spoiled, and to one extent or another, that is true of every human being. We're out of sorts with God. Now sometimes we think we can do things in secret. You know, we think, well, no one's really noticed uh, what we're doing, maybe God hasn't even noticed. We're not being as sneaky as we think. There's nothing that God doesn't see. Last Christmas, uh, Tissa did me a stocking. It's the first one I got for about 25 years. Quite exciting, some little sweets in there. There's a chocolate bar. Uh, there was a, a packet of, um, of wine gums. We had a debate last night. No one's really sure whether you have wine gums over here. I hope you do. Uh, but anyway, I left these sweets on the bedside table. And uh, that night, or maybe a couple of nights later, I settled Caleb into our bed because the, the children shared a room and it was easier to separate them, to get them to, to settle. So we settled Caleb in, in our bed, sweets on the table. You can probably see uh, where this is going. In the morning, I uh, noticed the empty packet of wine glass on the table, the half-eaten chocolate bar on the floor. And when I went to see Caleb, uh, he was sleeping angelically uh, with the remnants of the chocolate bar around his mouth. And yet, he was genuinely surprised that I was the culprit. He was really shocked. He was, a, he was uh, a bit freaked out. How does Dad know? And sometimes we can be a bit like that with God. We think he hasn't noticed what we're doing. Our attitudes, our motives, the things we think in the way uh, that we're living. I can assure you that he has. He sees where we're going wrong. And he calls us to repentance. He urges us to change our ways. In verse 8, he says, But if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will change my mind about the disaster that I intended to bring on it. Let's make it clear, I'm not trying to say that Caleb was evil for eating the uh, chocolate. But uh, the, the principle here is that we see that Repentance leads to pardon. When we turn away from our evil ways and turn back to God, he forgives us. And this is possible because Jesus has died for us. Jesus has paid the penalty for our sin, for our wrongdoing. Do you know what? The fact that God shapes us, this is good news shapes us like the bottom of his clay. This is really good news because it means that our hope of a changed life is not dependent on some kind of self-help strategy or wishful thinking. By his Holy Spirit, God wants to transform us and we need to see that as a good thing. If we doubt God, if we think that we know best, if we keep resisting God's efforts to shape us, then the changes will be painfully slow and difficult as they were for Judah. Remember from last week that verse, in all things God works for the good of those who love him. God wants the best for us. We really can trust him. But to be honest, spiritual growth can be quite painful and difficult. And I have to tell you, it will always involve us being pushed out of our comfort zones. But we shouldn't be surprised by that. The New Testament makes it clear that we are in a <coughs> spiritual war. 
2 Corinthians 10, 4 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not merely human, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. We're in a spiritual war. And training for war is not easy, nor is it comfortable. As a younger man, I spent 30 weeks training to become a Royal Marines commando. And the training moulds and shapes young men and uh, produces highly effective soldiers. Uh, but we didn't spend our time um, having tea parties and afternoon naps and playing croquet on the lawn. The training is tough. You spend a lot of time physically exhausted, soaking wet, freezing cold, under intense pressure. I have a, a very vivid memory of uh, lying on my back in a stream in, uh, in, on Dartmoor, it's a very bleak uh, part of the UK. And uh, it was a dead of night, I remember looking up at, at the stars. Um, in the middle of winter, talking proper winter, British winter, <laughs> minus 10, ice on the and I'm lying there on the verge of hypothermia and lying on my back in this stream, someone shouting from the, uh, the, the, the riverbank. And I was thinking, what on earth am I doing here? What is this about? I didn't enjoy that experience. It wasn't fun. I wouldn't choose to do that in my spare time. But the training as a whole shapes clueless young men and turns them into elite soldiers. And being a piece of clay that God is in the process of moulding and shaping is not always easy or comfortable. But God is shaping us to lead purposeful, fulfilling and fruitful lives. And what is more, he's shaping us for heaven, for an eternity spent with him. He's shaping us for the life to come. So let us not resist God. We all do it, but more and more we need to resolve not to. But when I first got ordained, I was terrified of taking weddings and funerals. I've never done it before, and you know, it's quite a big deal. I'm really grateful, I wasn't at the time, but now I'm really grateful to my vicar who threw me in at the, at the deep end. In fact, the first burial that I ever saw in my whole life, uh, I was there taking it. Thrown in at the deep end, pushed out the comfort zone. But out of that grows uh, spirit, um, out of that comes spiritual growth and uh, increased confidence. On anything, increased confidence in God and what he's able to do. Being shaped by God may not always be comfortable, but let us resolve never to be static. We don't want to be treading water. We want to be open to what God might be trying to do in our lives. He's always trying to bring change and newness and uh, fullness of life. Maybe God is calling us to forgive a family member, a friend or a colleague, and reach out to them in love. That can be quite an uncomfortable thing to do. But it's also the Christ-like thing to do. It might be that we need to be uh, more honest with our tax return, or more generous in the general sense. And that's not easy. But it will lead us to having a deeper trust in God, who promises to provide for all our needs. <laughs> Perhaps we're aware that we need to talk about our faith more, tell people about Jesus. But we're kind of worried about what people are going to think of us. We, we don't want to be rejected or face ridicule. But actually sharing our faith is one of the most faith-building things that we can do. But then we see God working in other people's lives. We might be going through some tough times at the moment. 
But instead of blaming God, we can ask God to, to show us how he can use our circumstances to mould and shape us and change us for the better. So let's make it our prayer today that by repentance we come back to God and we make ourselves as clay that is easily moulded, responsive to his touch, responsive to the Holy Spirit within us. Because if we do that, we're leaving ourselves open to God's loving kindness in the knowledge that he really does want the best for us. We can trust him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, confess that uh, often we do resist. Uh, so often we, we know what you uh, want from us, we know what you want for us, and yet we turn away from that and we choose our own way. We confess and we repent of that this morning. And we pray that we will be open to your spirit as you want to mould and shape and change us for the better. Pray that we'll completely trust you. And no matter what's going on in our lives, recognise that you are able constantly to be working in us and changing us and, and helping us to be the person that you've called us to be. <laughs> Father, help us to, to go along with that process, to bring our lives into line with your will. In those areas of our lives where we're resisting you, we pray, Father, that we'll let go and allow you to shape us in the way that you have you've decreed. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.